What's happening, weirdos? Boy, oh boy, it's old, it's it's old Jason Siegel. I've been wanting to have Jason Siegel on this podcast for a very long time. I'm so glad it finally happened. We met, or uh, naturally, naturally occurring meeting, and uh, and then we uh, we set it up, and just in time to promote his new movie, Our Friend, which is out now. Where you get your movies at home, I'm assuming. I mean, unless you're listening to this, and hopefully the not-too-distant future, where we can go to movie theaters and uh, be people. Uh, but I'm so excited for you guys to hear this and enjoy it. I'm such a fan, and I really enjoyed this chat. And it means so much uh, to people that want to support this podcast. I get wonderful, kind-hearted, open people reaching out all the time saying, I love the show. How do I how do I give back? I always tell them the best thing to do is to buy a Pete's Pick. That directly supports the show. Every promo code used directly helps us keep the lights on, as it were, and keep the show coming. And it means a lot. Your support means a lot. And you listening means a lot. For those of us with babies, boy, oh boy, hello, bello, is a life changer. We all know that parenting is incredibly hard. Uh, we just took... Leela to the park, and you know how that goes. You have to have a diaper bag. You have to have diapers in the car. You have to have diapers in her room. And you don't want to run out of diapers. And you don't want to run out of good diapers, absorbent and soft diapers that don't cost a fortune. It's hard to find them, and it's hard to remember to get them. Uh, So you should get those diapers delivered automatically with the wonderful Hello Bello, co-founded by our pals Kristen Bell. Well, I don't know Kristen Bell. Dex is a pal. I'd like to be pals with both of them. We watch Frozen enough. And hell, we talk about forgetting Sarah Marshall enough, especially in this episode. But Kristen Bell and Dax founded our co-founders of this company. Hello Bello is built on the simple idea that all babies deserve the best, which is why they offer premium baby products at affordable prices. Their diaper bundling service lets you choose from over 20 different fun rotating designs. As I always say, you think that wouldn't make a difference, but it does. Leela today, no lie, today, I was trying to get her to put on her little pull-up diaper, and she picked the one that had the rainbow on it. She knows and she likes it. She loves her Hello Bellows. Each bundle comes with seven packs of diapers, four packs of plant-based wipes, and even one full-size product freebie with your first order. And to boot, the box, the box that came last month, turned into a robot. It was a fun craft project, for real. So even the box, Leela was climbing in it, and we turned it into a robot following the instructions. So show your support of the show, and give yourself some support if you have a baby or a toddler in diapers. Go to hellobello.com, H-E-L-L-O-B-E-L-L-O.com slash weird to build your bundle, and Hello Bello will send you diapers at a cadence that works for you. The shipping is free. You can cancel anytime. No gotchas. Get their super soft, super affordable, super uh, absorbent diapers delivered right to the door at from Hello Bello. Right now, go to hellobello.com slash weird. You'll get 25% off your diaper bundle order. That's a huge bang for your buck and a lot of potential blowouts saved. That's hellobello.com slash weird to start building with 25% off your order. Plus, get 15% off any add-ons like vitamins or wipes. Hellobello.com slash weird. Also, I just took, well, I took these this morning. I've always wanted a vitamin. 
where I knew where the, where the nutrients were coming from, where the vitamins came from. I wanted to get a vitamin that didn't have sugars, that didn't have GMOs, that didn't have synthetic fillers or colorants, not to mention animal byproducts like wool or gelatin from hooves and hides. I wanted to know where it was coming from. I wanted it to be vegan. I wanted it to be rich in nutrients in forms that my body could actually use and be in a form that I could take on an empty stomach. I do intermittent fasting, uh, so I don't eat until about the afternoon, and I found Ritual. Boom! Matches all of the things I say. You have traceable ingredients. It comes with a little booklet, which is actually surprisingly fun to read, telling you where the vitamin D3 comes from, super important for immune system, where the B12 comes from. For uh, uh, somebody who's mostly vegan like me, very hard to get B12. It tells you where they sourced it. And they're fresh tasting, meaning mint flavored, delayed Release capsules are designed to dissolve later in less sensitive areas of the stomach, so it won't make you nauseous, even if you take them like I do without food. And it gets into the lower intestine, and that's where it breaks down, and that's where your body can use it. So I have a lot of people being, oh, your vitamins don't work. Well, they work when they get in your body deep enough before they break down, and that's exactly what Ritual does. Available for women, men, teenagers, uh, ritual multivitamins are scientifically developed uh, to help support life's different stages, and they even have them uh, for kids, starting at, I believe, four. There's also something about it being a subscription. It comes in the most eco-friendly packaging. It's basically an envelope with a bottle in it, which I love, and knowing that it's coming at the end of the month is like a treadmill. You have to keep running. You have to keep taking it. It motivates me to keep taking it because I know more is coming, and I love that the packaging is so minimal. Uh, so it makes it super easy to get your multivitamins delivered to your door every month with free shipping always. You can start, snooze, or cancel your subscription anytime. And if you don't love Ritual within your first month, they'll refund your order. You deserve to know what's in your multivitamin. That's why Ritual is offering weirdos 10% off during your first three months. Visit ritual.com slash weird to start your ritual today. That's ritual.com slash weird. Show your support of your body and show your support of this podcast. Last but not least, you know we're a Living Libations family. For years, when it comes to skin care, hair care, teeth care, teeth care, dental care, I just wasn't being very careful about what I was putting on my body. I was very careful about what I put in my body when it came to my food, but I would go out and buy shaving cream or a face wash that I thought were fancy and good because they came from some expensive French-sounding store in some open-air mall, but of course they're actually made with chemicals linked to disease and toxicity levels never intended for humans, for their skin, for their mouths, for their eyes, for their hands, all of it. Get it out of here. I want to eat food where I recognize the ingredients, and I want my skincare to be the same. Enter living libations. Whatever you're cleaning, whatever you're maintaining, whatever you're taking care of, I promise you living libations has a high-end, incredibly effective, powerful, natural alternative to whatever uh, random thing you're getting at uh, CVS, which is what I was doing for years. Now... I go to Living Libations for my exfoliating scrub, for my face wash, which is what I do before I shave, makes a huge difference. I get their ginger exfoliating scrub. Not only is it natural and made with things that I can recognize and understand, it's the most badass effective exfoliant I've ever used in my life. 
I also use their Zen Shave, which is a, uh, the uh, what it sounds like. It's the shaving balm. So clean and natural and moisturizing, you can actually use a dab of it as aftershave. Try doing that with some anonymous neon green blue uh, can. <laughs> neon green blue can goo shot out from a pressurized can. And at night, I use their Best Skin Ever Moisturizer. It smells great. It feels great. Gets your skin looking great. Healthy, happy glow. Put it on before bed. Val's on it too. Leela's on all the Living Libations baby products. Their sunblock is incredible, a wonderful alternative to the weird chemical nightmares that they have. Uh, Living Libations, I promise, has a premium, natural, wonderful product to replace whatever random chemical nightmare you're buying at 7-Eleven. Go to livinglibations.com, promo code WEIRD for 20% off. That is an incredible deal and a great way to support your skin, your teeth, your nails. Go to livinglibations.com, promo code WEIRD for 20% off, and show your support of this always free podcast. All right, guys, enjoy the wonderful and delightful and hilarious Jason Siegel. Go check out our friend. If you haven't seen it, go check out End of the Tour, another favorite of mine that he is wonderful in that we talk a little bit about in this episode. And enjoy this chat. Get into it. Okay, I'm back. I I thought you changed. That would have been so funny. That would have been a great life bit if you came in in a tuxedo. Yes. Uh, go ahead. I, I was going to say hello, but please, you were saying something. Well, I was just going to say the one thing I've learned from this uh, recent couple weeks of press, including podcasting, is that I don't know when we're actually podcasting. So tell me when we're podcasting. <laughs> Let right me now? use the verb, we're podcasting. Yes, we're podcasting. Um, but the truth is, is if like you didn't like the beginning when we talked about Annie Lamott, we could cut that out. But yeah, okay. we just start recording. But I will say this right now, Jason. It's not uh, some podcasts are a little bit that way. This is not a gotcha show. If you say something on this show and you don't like it in two weeks, you just text me and we'll take it out. It's not like that. Okay, it's like a friendly. It's a friendly room. Right, but right now we're podcasting. We are. <laughs> you got a good way with words. Yes, we are podcasting. And yes, it is funny to ask, are we podcasting? <laughs> it's sort of like asking, is this Googling? Are we Googling right now? Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, Val and I watched uh, Sarah Marshall last night for pleasure and to prep. It had been a while. Yeah. Um, I don't know when the last time you watched it is. And, and we're not going to just talk about your old stuff. I just want to talk about you and, and have fun. So please don't mm-hmm. worry. But man, it's so funny, and and there's a a great line where you say uh, you're picking up girls after your heart's broken. And you go, "Do you want to go home? Do you want? What about you? You want to go home?" And we laughed. We paused it to laugh and discuss how funny it is. Not, "Do you want to go home with me? Do you want to go yeah. home? Do you want to go home?" It was yeah. such a funny way to put it. It's it's a sensibility that Paul Rudd and I share in common, which is saying. Stuff just the tiniest bit wrong yeah. is especially funny. Just one word missing or off, yeah. That's exactly it. And do you want, like, it, it's almost like childlike. And and you know what? When you're heartbroken and you're trying to meet somebody, it is sort of, like, vulnerable and sad. So yeah. saying, like, do you want to go home? It's like asking a stuffed animal, like, <laughs> will, you, will you snuggle me? You know what I mean? Yeah. Will you, will you, I don't want to sleep alone. Will you come home? 
Yeah, um, it, there's something about it because I, you know I'm like playing like kind of drunk in that in that uh, area of the movie for the, a lot of the movie. But um, you know, there's like there's like the overacting drunk um, that I'm not interested in. But the idea of those scenes being like like they're they're really vulnerably honest, right? Like he just wants to go home. He wants to go home. <laughs> well, that show, that movie was an inspiration. My my TV show was about a heartbreak, and I think I told you when we met that that was one of those movies that like was really important to me. I'm sure you get that all the time. Wow. When that the feeling of I did it on crashing when you take somebody off your wallpaper. That was like a few years later. You were doing deleting the photos. I feel like those are the moments that breakups almost bring a poetic frequency to where you're like, when you take somebody out of your favorites, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, that movie too was, uh, I think it was pre iPhone. I think, I think it was. Yes. It's a whole new complicated thing now because these things are much more forever. It's, it's like much, much harder to wipe something from your life these days. Um, <laughs> That's true. You know, but yeah. But yeah, those days you could just throw away some physical items. Your your phone is currently backing up photos that you don't even ask it to right now. Oh, 100%. I, you know, it's really funny you say it, but I went through a bunch of my photos today. Um, and uh, I think I was just really struck. I mean, maybe I'm unique in this way, but, like, what a waste of time it is to take all these photos. <laughs> I haven't... <laughs> I imagine if you have kids, it's a different thing. I do not have kids, but I'm like, why am I saving all these eggs Benedicts for posterity? Like, this is so stupid. Yes, yes, I completely agree. Um, I think there was like there was a Green Day concert that I saw, and he yelled at everybody for filming it. And I and we're both we're all the same age, isn't that funny? Like Billy Joe Armstrong and me and you. Now we're all sort of the same age. He's a little bit older, but like now he's punk rock for things that middle aged men are punk rock about. Like live your life, yeah, and get your prostate checked. Like it's not that big of a deal. <laughs> yeah, you know, I had someone say something to me once that I think really applies um, to what we're talking about. Uh, I was going to Sundance for a movie, and um, I. I have a hard time being present. And um, my best friend Alexis said to me, um, hey, be sure you enjoy this while it's happening because you you don't get to post enjoy things. And I think that that's really true. Like you're not going to go back and watch the concert that you shot on your iPhone. You know, like if you're not if you're not present, you're missing it. Like it's, it's never the same in a photo. I completely agree. And I was just talking to Val, who you met. Uh, Val and I were talking about, I was in Israel. I studied a semester in Israel, in Jerusalem. And we went to the Herodium, which is, uh, I don't know if you know what the Herodium is. It's a mountain that King Herod emptied out like a supervillain. Wow. Like he really did. Um, One fun fact, one biblical fun fact. There's a Jesus quote where he says, if you have faith, you can move mountains. Yeah. And the people of that time would have known the literal possibility of moving mountains. So, so Jesus is sort of like nodding to a dance move of the time. Isn't that interesting? Wow, it sure is. Yeah. Oh, I, I'm, I'm glad you like that because that could have been very boring. <laughs> no, no, not at all. But we were yeah. at the Herodium. 
everybody was taking pictures of basically what ju- it just looks like exactly what you're imagining sand and it looks like it's sand colored and it's decaying structures and all this stuff and even at like 20 i was like just buy a book on the herodium if that's what you want if you just want like you get like wide angled lenses like drone shots of the herodium like your fucking photos of the Herodium will not stand up to the professional glossy eight by tens in the Herodium book. So just walk around the Herodium, like take the day off. Yeah, well, it's because it's more about proof now. It's not. It's it's not like to re-experience the stuff. I think it's just to prove. You know, it'd be such a weird lie. Like I went to the Herodium. <laughs> like, oh yeah, prove it. <laughs> <laughs> that, is, that is part of what it is it's like look it actually happens um so it's, it's a very weird thing culturally right. isn't it? it it didn't happen unless you can prove it on your uh on your instagram or something well do you remember when we were kids we're about the same age it yeah. was like a cliche joke that someone would have you over their house and show you slides like that yeah. was like in-law jokes and like, oh, God, Tom and Betty down the street are going to want to show us slides. But we've all become Tom and Betty. Like, we're all just proving what we've done constantly. Yes. Judd Apatow did an amazing joke in his stand-up routine. I don't know if you remember, but saying how weird it would be in the era before iPhones if you took old-fashioned camera pictures of your breakfast and then mailed them to your friends. <laughs> That's fantastic. That's yeah. fantastic. And insisted they comment. Yes. Like permanent <laughs> record comments. Yes. That's hilarious. I'm surprised, man. First of all, I do want to say I'm so happy that we're doing this. This is sort that was terrifying. Um, yeah. <laughs> when I was in Amsterdam, my girlfriend and I went to the Museum of Death. Have oh, you ever wow. been Have you ever been to the Museum of Death in Amsterdam? Only, only in my own mind. <laughs> <laughs> it's a apparently in uh, certain parts of the country, uh, the world rather, they dig up graves after um uh, like a, a 50 years. Like you only get a grave for 50 years. You rent it wow. and then they dig right. it up. So there's this museum outside of Amsterdam that's filled with all of the stuff that they dug up. And while we were there, just like your door slammed, we were getting a tour and a door slammed. And the tour guide jumped in a way, we didn't jump, but she jumped in a way that was like, this is a bad job, isn't it? Like you're seeing some shit. (laughs) Oh man, yeah. I've had some stuff like that in Charleston, South Carolina. Is that Um, right? Yeah, there's all sorts of, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's all sorts of ghosty stuff that goes on in those those cities, New Orleans, all that. Yeah. You, I mean, now we're podcasting. Let me get this out of the way. I've wanted to hang out and be friends. We're in a pandemic. I think we would have. Yes. And then I was worried. I was like, well, I'd love for him to do the podcast, but I don't want to like squelch the organic, true friend uh, chemistry that I feel like we had when we hung. But this yeah. is like a hang. But I just want to like call it out and be like, I'm glad we're hanging, even if it's like this, and even if it's sort of press, it's still fun, and I'm I'm really it glad you took the very time. very natural to me. 
<laughs> it absolutely feels like a natural, organic hang. Oh where we're my god! With no consequence. <laughs> That's so funny. When you when I do this, I actually do sort of feel that way. Do you feel too much like people are going to pounce on everything you say? No, you know what? I don't worry too much about it these days. I like, you know, what are you going to do? You're doing your best. <laughs> you know, at some point, I'm a very fear-based guy instinctively. Like, I feel scared uh, sometimes. I, You know, I, I was, uh, I came up in a time when there was like a lot of uh, different era of paparazzi. You know, again, it was before camera phones. So like people would jump out at you and stuff like that. And um I don't, I just don't, I just think at this point in my life, I'm 41 years old, trying to be a pretty good dude. You just, you do the best you can. If you say something dumb, you say something dumb. And I know it's not going to be, there's not going to be any malice behind anything I say. So, you know, you just got to assume that people give you some leeway if you, if you fuck up. Yeah, that's interesting. I guess that's maybe why I said like, it's not a gotcha show because I, it's, it's absurd when I saw you make that face and say it feels natural, I was like, you're right. I guess I am the weirdo that's like, this will count as a hang. Because I've done I've done 400 plus episodes of this. And so many of them, this is a weird thing to say, but so many of them have turned into friendships. My past three like really good friends have come from, they did the podcast first. I know that's a weird thing to share. It's but like, amazing. You can get into a pocket where you're actually talking. And that and that's my goal. It's weird to say that because now we'll both be like, are we in the pocket? Are we in the pocket? Yeah. But it's I so this is good for you. This is a good friend making tool. That's good to know. Well, Conan's you just said you did Conan. Were you doing his podcast or were you doing his No, show? I was doing the show. Yeah. The conceit of his podcast is that he needs a friend. And I'm like, the guy who married me and Val we met on the podcast and he's like a real friend. He's like, like family level friend. It's Rob Bell. It's an incredible author who I, I just, this is weird to say I'm trying to, and we're already at David Foster Wallace. I'm so proud to say that you introduced me to David Foster Wallace. Wow. Yes. That, that is an honor. I, well, I really, really, really love that movie. I've seen it literally six or seven times. I, I love it. And people that listen to this podcast will know that I'm constantly quoting David Foster Wallace saying the problem is we're having our needs met by things that don't love us. What I'm really quoting is you as David Foster Wallace saying that, that David Foster Wallace did say. I have read some of his stuff. I love uh, a a lot of his shorter stuff. I haven't even tried Mm -hmm. Infinite Jest, but like, it's really you. And we're kind of having a David Foster E. Wallace conversation. Like, is this bullshit? Like, are we... Yeah. Is it all tits and glitz? Is it all just like a crest commercial that we're pretending to be chums? Right. Uh, chums. Like the- <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, well, no, I mean, I, I think I, I can already say that there is something. Uh, you seem like a very authentic human being, even in the, you know, you and I hung out once in our town and, uh, now this is our second real conversation, but yeah, you kind of uh, reek authenticity. Oh, that's you know, really which, kind of you. Yes, <laughs> you're still reeking. Like people are still kind of recoiling at your aroma, but it's authentic. Yeah. It was an interesting combination of words that I didn't mean for it to sound like reek. I, I meant I meant more like this pleasant wafting 
odor of authenticity. I read. really appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, yeah read. <laughs> <laughs> Just like a thick beef of authenticity. Yeah, like like no matter where I turn, it's there. But it's a nice, <laughs> but it's a nice thing. It's a nice thing. Val will be so happy that this came up when you and Rudd, specifically this, when you and Paul Rudd did, I've done junkets like that, uh, not as many as you, but where you're in front of a movie poster and then to entertain yourselves, you did the fart, the fart off. Yeah. We've been stoned. We've been sober. It doesn't matter. We watch that for joy all the time. So add that to the things that we love because we love silliness and you seem like a silly Billy. Uh, yeah, especially when I was, uh, when I was with Rudd and we, that was, that was actually a sober, uh, moment, but we were in London. It was like 10 hours into press tour for I love you, man. And we just kind of lost our shit a little bit. And it was, uh, I look back at that as one of the more fun moments I've, I've had actually. It's so good. I'm so glad, like. The things that I watch of my own work are the bloopers. I know that even that might be embarrassing to say, but I'll, I'll look up. I did a talk show called Pete Holmes show. I'll type in Pete Holmes show bloopers and we'll, cause it's not me. It's the other people. Cause I'm always playing like some straight guy usually. And they're doing the Thomas Middleditch is doing the funniest shit. Ever, and we're both dying laughing. And now I'm laughing at myself in the past laughing. I guess what I'm asking is, have you ever watched that? <laughs> again because it's real well, silly i've seen it a couple times uh it's been sent to me here and there but i will say what i was thinking about when you were bringing it up is that um what i think as i've gotten older i've come to understand is i was so focused on the final product of most of these things that i almost felt like the process of making stuff was bracketed from my life like i'm gonna go away and make this movie And then I will come back to my real life. And one of the things I realized was that I was missing real life during all of that. I was missing all of these moments of enjoyment that actually are what it's all about. Um, Yeah. So I look back at moments like that and I think, oh, like, oh, there's joy, 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 there, there, there. I kind of like... uh, we were talking about missing things before by taking photos of them. I sometimes missed them by thinking the point was like the thing, the final product you produced. I, it's a real serendipity that you said that because during this quarantine, something again, I'm going to mention Val a lot because it's the only person I'm hanging out with. And also she's brilliant, but like we were talking about it and it was the holidays and we weren't going to be able to like go and see everybody and all that. And I was like, I thought, things like going to see your family, which I loved. Please don't get me wrong if they hear this. I love that. They know I love it. I clearly love it. I'm wearing onesie pajamas and giving (laughs) weird gifts to my nephew. I mean, it's clear that I enjoy it. But I always saw it as an interruption to what normal life was. I was like, there's life and then there's this interruption. And then when it was taken away from me, from the quarantine, I was like, shit, it was like a deathbed realization. And we're all sort of having deathbed realizations because in a big way, our lives have died, you know? So we're like going, that's gone. And I'm here now I'm reflecting on my life. And I'm really going like, fuck, that was life. Because I had the exact same experience when I was doing my TV show, especially long days, a lot of press, all that stuff. You're kind of like 
throwing your hat over the wall to when it's done and someone's telling you how great it is or something. I don't even know what you're waiting for. Like the more I did it, talk about that. Have you figured out as you've gone since then, like to maybe enjoy it more or are you still struggling? Yeah. I mean, I think that the thing that I have realized is that like a thing is not going to happen. If you're waiting for like a thing to happen, it's not coming. You know what I mean? Like you're just going to keep waiting for some goalpost that's moving. So I'm just trying every day to be like, I mean, I'm not trying to be hippy dippy on this podcast where we are podcasting now um, (laughs) about saying like be present. But I mean, I really guess that's what it is. Like just trying to realize that it's, it's happening. It's, it's happening right now. And, uh, I, I just I'm trying to miss it less. There's something that I heard that um, they ask people deathbed confessions, like you know what what have you what do you wish you know, and uh, a lot of people said I wish I'd worried less. Yeah, and I think that like so much time spent worrying. I have a thing that I got in Joshua Tree. It's this embroidered thing. Uh, it's like very quaint, um, but it says. Uh, I know that worrying works because nothing I've worried about has ever happened. I love that. Yeah. That's great. My my go-to is worry. There's two. Worry is praying for what you don't want. I don't really like that one because that's like a scare tactic. But mm-hmm. I like worry is paying interest on a debt that isn't yours. And I, oh, wow. I, I love that. And also, <laughs> this is such a clear moment where it's like, you don't know what podcast you've come on because that's all we do. All we do is talk about how to be present and how to oh, enjoy cool. it. So feel free to to flap your Joshua Tree. Uh, oh, ways. yeah, I do. I'm, I'm glad. Yeah, I mean, the other thing I would say is it turns out with some experience, you're never worried about the right thing. It's I always mean, some other thing that ends up being what you're having to deal with. And, and, you know, another thing my dad said to me recently, who is by – the law of how things work older than I am. Um, he said there, you need to find the distinction between something that needs to be taken care of and something that is a problem. Because my first instinct when anything is happening is that there's like a problem, like, Oh my God, this letter needs to get to the post office. <laughs> Oh yeah. God! How will it? How will I do it? How will it get there? Uh, you know, and I'm so I'm just trying to I'm just trying to wear life a little bit looser. I love that. That's another great thing. Uh, speaking of presence, Tim Leary, Timothy Leary. Yeah. Um, Ramdas said to him they were in some pickle, and he goes, "We got a problem," and he goes, "We don't have a problem. We need a plan. It's completely different." Like you. You need a plan. I need to put on pants and go to the post office. That's completely yeah. different from having a problem. Yes. I love that they were probably just tripping balls when they had that discussion. <laughs> and the problem was like, we've run out of snacks. <laughs> that was, that's definitely a right after the last Dorito conversation. <laughs> It's not a problem. We just need a 7-Eleven plan. It's going to be fine. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I, You know, talking about what your dad said about worrying, too, 
Val and I also last night were talking about um, – so I'm going to out-hippie you and out-get real spiritual here. Mm-hmm. I hope it's okay. But we were talking about prayer, and my one of my favorite teachers, Richard Rohr, pointed out that you have no idea what even to pray for. The hubris, the narcissism that you know what you need. Please let me get this job. Please let this flight be on time or whatever it is. So Eckhart Tolle, Richard Rohr, they all sort of say the same thing. Tara Brock. They, they ask for something to sort of pray through them, like make it clear what I should desire. Because if you're at the helm, you're just going to go for the next good feeling, the next full belly, the next sexual encounter, whatever it might be. Yeah. Like you just want, you're a rat in a cage pushing the pleasure buttons. Like have some humility and go, I don't even know. Like, oh, I'm going to manifest a future as if you know what future is right for you and the part you play in the collective it, yeah. There's, we could use some humility. Uh, so now, when I if I meditate or pray, it's like you're asking. This is actually something your co-star Russell Brand said. He goes, "May the energy of the universe, may the source of the universe, pass through me." I'm not going to like manipulate it, but I just want it to be. I want to open myself up to be a conduit. Yeah, I, a similar kind of vibe is I, I pray when I pray which is not as regularly as it should be um, just to just, I mean, basically for acceptance, just to be in line with what reality is, that's because right. that seems to be where, where the strain comes from is where you feel like what is happening is not right. That, that your picture of what is supposed to happen is different than reality. And you get, and you get freak out. That's you know? it. Yeah. And so I'm trying to I'm trying to be like, all right, this is what's happening. And that's exactly right. And then just chill out. You know, it's very similar to Bruce Lee talking about be like water. Right. And and the non resistance of water. Water can be focused and very powerful, but we all just want to be more like water. Our baby has been getting up at either two or four a.m. every night for an hour. And it's really brutal. And one night I couldn't sleep, so I took a, like a Tylenol PM. So I was really deep when she woke up. And I was rocking her. And I realized I only started suffering when I thought of how Val said some babies sleep all night. So then that begot the thought. Mm-hmm. Literally, I thought verbatim, this isn't how it's supposed to be. <laughs> and yeah. that's, that's, that's the opposite of non-resistance. That's the opposite of grooving and flowing with what is. And that's where all the pain comes from. And as soon as I recognized it, I was just a man in a chair holding my beloved baby. Like, what is the yeah. problem? Yeah. What, what is the problem? So you, you, yeah. you hit it on the head. Um, what do you think your baby's worried about? Economic <laughs> security? Work, work stuff? <laughs> you think it's work stuff? <laughs> That's my other one. What were you worried about a year ago? Have you ever tried that one? No, that you know. But I will tell you, like, it is amazing uh, when you finally realize that basically you have some amorphous anxiety that is like trying to cling to something like a Rolodex. Because I will be so sure what I'm worried about is real, and then as soon as that thing gets taken care of, another thing fills the slot that I wasn't worried about seconds before that's right and i'm like oh this is uh this is the dragon and it wants food and that's that's about as simple as it gets you know that's a brilliant 
And sometimes I think you're looking for something. Sometimes, sometimes things are going so well, like I'll be having this, we think we want no conflict. And then I'll text somebody on purpose who I, I'm like, I don't know if they uh, will get back to me. And I'm texting them just because I know they won't get back to me. And I'll see if that uh, will give my anxiety something to feed on. It wanted well, Yes, it's interesting because you and I both live in a, in a small town and um, having come from a big city where you are basically like kind of fielding problems or whatever you want to call it, stuff that needs to be taken care of all day long, it becomes part of your personality. It becomes part of who you are. You're in a writer's room and you're solving problems with the script or this and that. And uh, when you get someplace where the pace is really slow and if you look around – there actually isn't a problem. Things are really nice. Yeah. And then you're left with you and like this hungry uh, beast that you have like kind of been keeping in a cage and feeding that just wants problems to gnaw on. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I suddenly became aware that they're, they're, the issue is just me and the, David Foster Wallace. Uh, to go back to him, said this thing on these recordings that I got to listen to um, prepping for end of the tour where uh, David Lipsky asked him um, after Infinite Jest came out, what do you think your next project will be? And David Foster Wallace said something like, uh, we all have the other voice, the voice that either tells us we're doing fine or tells us that we're a piece of shit. And my only project is to make friends with that voice. Ah, wow. And that has really... That has really stuck with me, especially when you put in context that David Foster Wallace didn't make it. It makes it all the more poignant um, because it's not the Buddha saying that or the Dalai Lama. It's not someone who had mastered it. It's somebody who was stuck in it. Um, yeah. Who seems to have all the tools. It's like having the tools isn't quite enough. That's right. There needs to be a fundamental... This is why all the religious traditions have some word for conversion or enlightenment or um, mm. I, I like conversion, uh, even though that's the Christian one. We think that means you stop believing the Jewish uh, text and you start believing. The, but really, it's a, a renewal of your inner workings, like something has changed. And even I as I say that link to Christianity, I picture all these like friendly faced evangelicals saying freck instead of fuck. That's not what I'm yeah. talking about. I'm talking about somebody that ha- opens up their heart. Here's, I'm going to tell you another Jesus thing. He said, and I love this, and nobody taught me this in church. He says, let the weeds grow with the wheat. It's very similar to what David is saying, that there's two voices. There's the wheat, there's the crop, there's what you want, and there's the weeds. And Jesus says, if you try and pick the weeds, you'll pick the wheat too. You'll kill the crop. So let them grow together. Tell that to me, who was like, worried about the rapture while I was masturbating. Like I had no, I had no acceptance of like, I'm a horny 13 year old. There was no, like, this is just what it is. I was only going, we got to get rid of this goddamn wheat. Like I was so scared, but that reminds me of what David Foster Wallace says. There are two energies. There always will be Ah. light and dark. It's, it's interesting stuff. Yeah. Well, it sounds like uh, with all your chronic masturbating, that like, um, <laughs> you know, but you, you end up if you're if you're not careful, you can end up living a life that feels wholly corrective. 
that everything you do is is to try to sort of a what's the word sublimate um, yeah. Yeah. Some, some instincts that you're having that actually you'll probably be a whole lot happier if you figure out a way to reconcile them versus you know uh, sublimate them. Yeah, it's equus. We're all trying to blind the horses, you know, or or whip ourselves. I don't know when mm-hmm. the last time you read or saw Equus was, but it's a very good. Uh, is uh, it behind? Where, me? Can you tell these books behind me? <laughs> I read it all the time. It's up there. It's one of I, my books. I didn't want to mention the books, but I was like, "Is that this seems like a designer bought these books for you? Like that's they, the, were, bought, they were bought by the inch." <laughs> of course they were. Yeah, those are fill books. Those are filling books. At least they're not empty. And you have one little Dia de los Muertos kind of skeleton. That's yes. a little touch of Sieg. Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> did you watch um, Soul, uh, the Pixar movie? I loved Soul. Yeah. Yeah, I really, I really did love it. Um, there were so many. Oh, man. I'll tell you something. There's this moment in Soul, if you haven't seen it, where they go into the this this realm where I think it was called Lost Souls, but there there there's one who's just worried. He's just repeating to himself his worry over and over. And I said out loud, watching it alone, oh no, that's me. Which is not how you're supposed to feel, I think, when you're watching that movie. Or maybe you are. Maybe Pixar knows what they're doing. Maybe that's exactly how you're supposed to feel. Oh, I think we all relate to that wandering and obsessive, like if only, if only, if only I have to do this, do this, do this. Um, and it's the guy going, make trade, make trade. He's, he's a, yes. uh, he's a fine, I don't, he works in finance. So yes, he's yes. trading stocks or something. Um, I totally relate to that. And I think, I, I think that should be unifying for you. I think everybody watching that knows what it's like. It's really brilliant if you notice they do something that again, Richard Rohr taught me, which is it's not just sin. He's not, he's not in there going like uh, boobies or, or cash or he's just, they, they actually go out of their way to say it's our passions too. Sometimes our passions can be blinding. Oh, for sure. I, I, so I am very lucky that I'm reaching at the age and experience where I'm able to, help people who are coming up and doing, you know, stuff that I have done. And I was, uh, I, I have two writers who I think are just absolutely brilliant and they're about to run their first show. And they asked me like, do I have any advice going in? And one of the things I said, which I hadn't thought about at the time, but I just think is really, really true is that the difference between an A and an A minus in terms of like what you will notice is almost imperceptible. And the difference between an A and an A minus in terms of your own heartache of achieving it is monumental. And it's okay. Like take the A minus. Know what, what is the difference to the A to you that those costumes weren't aged enough no one's going to notice, but it's the difference between someone having to stay up all night and age the costumes or you looking at the costumes thinking they're not aged enough and no one cares. And I think that, that there, there is some application to that in life when you have some form of OCD, which I'm sure I have, which is like 
geez, it, it's okay. Like really good is okay. It's great. I love it. Yeah, like, I love it. Really good is really yeah. good. Really good is it's called really good because it's really good. <laughs> you know, but to me, if someone said, <laughs> "Oh, that was," if someone was like, "Oh, that was really good," I'm like, "Oh God, it wasn't great." Apparently, it wasn't great. You know. Yeah. Oh, I love that. You know, you just did Conan. Um, something Conan said to me again. He produced my talk show. He was like, you know, you do episodes where you are convinced it will be the front page of the New York Times. Like how amazing the the monologue was, the interviews were, and no one notices. The next day, no one noticed, or you know, maybe a couple, but but not the world. And then you have shows where you're like, they figured out I'm a fraud, I'm the worst, and he's like, yeah. and no one noticed. So he's like. You could think that's sad, but really it's liberating. And it changed the way I would go on talk shows. I was like, yeah. no one cares. Like, no one cares. You can watch my appearances after I got that advice. They completely change. I'm standing on the couch. I, I don't care because nobody yeah. cares. It's just like just just like this, Jason. No one cares. This this is a nice little time capsule of you and I both on this day, on this planet, floating in infinity. But really, there's a wonderful surrender in going like, nothing's happening. Nothing's happening. We're just playing. There's a similar thing. I've gotten to edit myself a few times and there's a very actor thing where you're like, Oh, take two. I didn't quite do well, but take five was awesome. Yeah. And then when you are editing yourself, I dare you to tell the difference between take two and take five. They're exactly the same. (laughs) (laughs) You have some you have some internal sense something was different, but then you watch them and you're like, oh, it was it's imperceptible. Well, this, this thing is, that I know. This is the same bullshit we have to call on ourselves and our anxiety, right? Hmm. Because you're looking at your problems through your it's Einstein. You can't solve a problem with the same level of consciousness that caused the problem. Right? Oh, wow. So you're looking at your performance through the same mire of a reedy lake trying to discern what's good and what's bad when really, dude, I've edited myself and you know what the take where I maybe looked a little bit more handsome or my hair still looked kind of natural. Like they hadn't fixed me yet. Um, I'm like, that's the one, but like you could take it out and put in another one and show it to somebody and they wouldn't give a shit. And you have to have that humility, but we can apply that to ourselves too. Like we're running our own lives and we're going that take of Jason at the party. What an asshole when really you don't even know, you don't even know. Like it could go either way. It could. Well, the thing I wanted to say about soul too, maybe you noticed, I'm sure you did actually, you were talking about, there's no moment. And he has that, he plays with Dorothea Williams and afterwards he's like kind of blue. He's a little depressed because there, he was waiting for a moment. And then she tells him the fish story, which is David Foster Wallace's yeah. What is Water? It's like yeah. the same, the, the, the crux of the story is the same thing that he gave that amazing talk on, which is one of my favorite things, which is the older fish knows that the ocean is made of water and the young fish is wasting his time looking for the ocean. Yes. Um, that, that's us. That, the, the first time I did Conan, I thought I was going to be a different person. When I got married the first time, I got married when I was 22, I thought I was going to, be a different person. I, I literally thought I would have sex. I, I had already had sex, but like 
the world would look different because I was a married person. And when it didn't, it was the first of many like, hey, dipshit, stop looking for the ocean and start feeling the water. It was all there. Where where else could everything be? But right here, it's fucking crazy. Yeah, you know, I I definitely relate to this. I just I there are some moments in my life where I realized I was missing it. One in particular, I was dancing down Hollywood Boulevard with the Muppets singing Life's a Happy Song. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember thinking I was thinking about how cool it was, but in context of I don't know how you top this in the sequel. Wow. That is not the way to be thinking. You know what I mean? Like I missed probably, I mean, that is a cartoonishly happy moment, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) I think honestly, it was also my birthday. I'm not joking. (laughs) That's that's absolutely true. Uh, But yeah, so over the past few years, that's become really important to me is just, is just trying not to miss it and collect these experiences. You're thinking not only can we not top this in the sequel, but next year on my birthday, I know I will not be dancing with the Muppets. I know I will not be dancing down a very busy street with the Muppets. So that birthday is going to stink. Dude, I relate to that so hard. When I first got into standup, I remember one of the first times I killed, it was, it was at an open mic. There was this open mic in Chicago we all did, and it was actually really great. So it wasn't like an anomaly. A lot of people would kill. And I killed. And I got off stage. And just to tell you how in good company you are, my first thought was, what am I going to do next week? It was a weekly open mic. And a lot of the same people came. So I didn't even enjoy. I think maybe you'll get some value out of this. Bruce Springsteen said, you never remember your album going platinum. You remember the hot fudge Sunday." So I I've, oh, wow. I've taken that quite literally. Like when crashing got picked up, Val and I went out and got an ice cream and we, and we put the receipt on the fridge and I, and I was just like, that's, and I do Jason, I do. This is, this isn't, I'm not trying to Tony Robbins you. I'm just saying, Someone with the exact same chemistry, the same sort of, I've been, I remember being as depressed as I've ever been in a golf cart with Bill Burr shooting the second season of my own show. And everybody, Bill Burr literally said to me, dude, I don't know how you're going to top this. This is the fucking best. And I was like, you don't even know right now I'm set. Like I couldn't, I couldn't have told him why, but I was chemically sad. Wow. And it was because- it's because I was I thought that was it. I thought I was supposed to feel home. Do you, you want to go that, home? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> do you think that your instinct to head towards comedy as a young man had to do with some attempt to like exorcise those feelings? I that's a great question. I I will say and this is sort of maybe unhealthy when you kill and you you make 300 people laugh and they have a great time. It is one of the best feelings in the world. I, I hate right. to be the guy that's like, hey, uh, you know, <laughs> weed does work. But like yeah. for me, but the pain when it doesn't work, and it can be the difference between an A and a, an a minus, like the one wow. guy 
who's not laughing or he reminds you of some guy who bullied you and he was a dick or whatever like that, then you're not happy. So it's a bullshit endeavor. Like, as I'm saying, like, it can feel so good. I'm also like, careful, Pete. That's a very hot sword. You know what I mean? It cuts things down, but it'll it'll burn your hand, you know? (laughs) Are Are you, when you're up there, are you looking for the guy who's not laughing? Do you think instinctively? I think I think I'm looking for what's not safe. What it is is like when you're growing up and you don't feel like there's a lot of control in your mm-hmm. house. And I'm sure you can relate to this with writing scripts. I think showbiz people, I can't speak for them. I think my draw to show business is at least in part a draw to control. If I could have scripted my family dinners, dad, Jesus, Irina, this is a great chicken. Thank you so much for taking the time. Mom, Jay, I know you work so hard. (laughs) You know, like if I could have done that and just controlled and gotten all the nasty, ugly bits out of there. So when I'm going up in front of a crowd, sometimes I am a child again going, I'm going to make everything okay. So there is like an unhealthiness. Do you relate to that desire for control or? Um, Well, mine wasn't so much about family stuff. I think that I, since I am very young, uh, am saddled with some sense of, I mean, this may be some middle child stuff, but also I I just think I'm saddled, saddled chemically with some sense that I'm invited by mistake. No one really wants me there. Um, uh, Almost as though, it's not a sense of dread like something terrible is going to happen. It's a sense that the terrible thing has already happened. And I am now living permanently in the unfolding consequences of this thing that I cannot ever control or fix. Um, Whoa. Yeah, but you know what? That's, uh, That's all bullshit, isn't it? Like, that's the important, that's the important thing is like, oh, it's all bullshit. And also everyone is living in their own little, you know, with their own problems that they've sort of put words to and are constructing meaning around. I just think in a lot of ways, we're all just the same kids we were in elementary school. That's how I feel when I watch politics. I'm like, oh, you're exactly the same as you were in high school. I know exactly you're that (laughs) fucking kid that I didn't like then and I don't like now. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I think that's true of all of us. We're all we're all you know probably pretty similar, just with you know different outfits. I complete. Isn't it funny? Just because the grown up and the the adult intellect is the highest we can go as a species, doesn't mean from another vantage point we're just like a bunch of toddlers. You know what I mean? Like not to bring aliens into it, but anyone observing us would see our games and our bullshit and our inability to drop our conditioning and our past experiences. That's what I was going to say. You're at a party. No one has ever met you, you. And I'm not saying that to be lonely. I'm saying that to be liberating. No one has ever met me. People can get close to you. Don't get me wrong. But like when I look at you, 
I, of course I'm seeing forgetting Sarah Marshall and then I'm go and then I'm filling in. I think I told you when I met you, you sort of remind me of, of a family members. Like we have like a, a tall sort of Ophi thing and that works mm. in your favor. What the fuck does that have to do with you? I'm just right. looking at your packaging and I'm going, I bet as a tall guy, kind of like lumbering, I bet we're friends. But I look at another guy who has the face of, of a bully this could be my soulmate for all I know. He could be the right. same. But like we don't – most of human existence isn't getting past the packaging. And, and it's hard. Yeah, when someone gets saddled with a snarky face. Oh, my God. It's such that. a bummer because they could be the coolest, but you're like, I don't like that dude. That's right. I don't know, I don't know why. I, snarky look. I met a girl at a party and I, talk, and I said, are you sad? I, this really happened. I said, are you sad? Is something wrong? And without missing a beat, she said, it's my face. She knew oh, she yeah. had sad face. And I was yeah. like, so every, like, imagine sending, uh, maybe she could do a great job, but like sending her in to pitch that TV show you're going out to sell. Like you wake up the sadness potentially in the executive. I, I just think about like, like Ben Schwartz is a friend of mine. He sold so many movies and I was thinking about him and I was like, Ben could sell a, a ketchup popsicle. He's just like, he just looks like a fun soccer player or something. Like he's got like, but like, what does that have to do with anything? It's it's really, I say this to Val all the time. The fact that my favorite person is in my favorite packaging is one of the greatest gifts of all time because I was Are such a, uh, <laughs> I was saying that to Val. Oh, Oh, <laughs> it's a good compliment though right you can save it it's a great compliment yeah <laughs> but i'm kind of conceding my own underwaterness when i met her i saw a beautiful woman what a fucking dingus i didn't even i i but that that was the entryway into learning who she was but i'm just so glad that who she was was presented in a way that the dingus could also get on board, you know? Well, but I mean, I think you can go a little easier on yourself because I, I understand we're all aspiring to better, but I think that's, that's a pretty human entry point, isn't it? Like, for sure. how, are you to, how are you supposed to know what lies beyond the threshold, you know, before you've gone there, you know? Right. I think that's, I, I was watching, it was West Wing. I'm watching West Wing during the pandemic and they were talking about gate analysis and it's not just people's appearances, but it is how they tie their shoes and how they walk and how they look at you and how they smile and when they laugh. These are all the cues that are clues to what's going on inside. Um, I remember being at an audition and a guy had a flip phone. This was just an open call in Manhattan. And he kept opening it and snapping it shut every like 10 seconds. Like yeah. it was the most annoying. And I was like, I don't think we could hang out. Like, <laughs> and, that, and that was, again, he's probably, he's the infinite mystery made manifested in a body as well. But like, I was like, I don't think would be good on a road trip. Like, if this is how you open a phone, I don't want to see how you eat Cheetos. Like, it's probably not. Yeah, cool. yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I have someone very, very, very close to me who operates entirely differently than I do. And it took me time to uh, learn to translate the social cues. Mm. You're like, oh, that you're not mad at me. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? You're just, uh, you express honesty differently than I do. And, and just myriad different um, learning a new language. So interesting. Yeah. I, I've, I'm a, sort of like a millennial and I don't watch TV. I go on YouTube now or I'm like Judd. Judd does that too. Like, so yeah. I, I, I'm right in everybody does that. But I, I just stumbled upon this really interesting video about why certain people come off badly in interviews. And yeah. this is very apropos for what we're doing. At the like 45 minutes ago, I said to you, oh, this can be like a hang. And you said, yeah, this feels very organic. But you you squinted your eyes. You sort of rolled your eyes and you scrunched your face very, very subtly. But that was you saying, I'm being sarcastic. You are communicating a truth, which as a comedian and just a person who likes truth, you're saying, Pete, come on, for fuck's sake, this is going to be released onto the internet. Fucking stop (laughs) it. But it's also very funny, but you let me know you were joking. Yeah. And they were looking at these um, Brie Larson interviews and sort of analyzing what went wrong. They were like these hated interviews for some reason. And one of them was assuming malicious intent. So if I say, Jason, those books look like a designer bought them. And you said, I read. You think I don't read? This is just my study. Like that is one of the things human beings don't like. And then they use Russell, Russell Brand coming up again, where somebody said, when I hear you in the car, I don't understand what you're saying. And he said, well, that's probably a good thing, isn't it? You you don't want to be listening to me while you're driving. It could be dangerous. You laugh, you crash into a tree. He rolled with it in a positive way and assumed that the guy didn't mean it in a bad way. And then we liked that interview and we didn't like this particular Brie one. Isn't that interesting? Yes, well, I think that it is a big thing in life to um, the benefit of the doubt, right? Of just like giving everyone a little break. I mean, I feel like culturally we're in a moment now where if you're not careful, you know, like you say you, you, you do it wrong. And it means that you meant something bad. And I don't know, like, I I think some of the more interesting moments in my life are bumping up against the walls and finding out like, oh, did it wrong, did it wrong. And I I don't know, it's exciting to explore and, and roll with it and maybe just not be so precious about everything. I hear that. There, there is a, a level of on the recordness. That that's that's what the, the, both the fans and the artists are now on the record. Um, wow. This was one of my original points I would make: is if you went and saw Maria Abramovich in uh, 1979, and you go in a room and she's covered in her own feces and she just screams at you, uh, that's a fake example. Um, that would be one thing. You and I are just having some wine and cheese, and we went to a groovy art show, and it scared us. But if you post it on your Facebook page and you work at uh, Intel, um, now it's like a thing. Like Jason's a weirdo and like Jason endorses this and Jason thinks women should be covered in shit and screaming or whatever. So we're, we're there. what we didn't know we had in the, in the 90s was like – and there was a – don't get me wrong. There was a bad – part of all these dark spots. I, I saw them. People would call me the F word 
with with uh, immunity. You know what I mean? Wow. Or or they'd just be cruel, or they'd be sexist, or racist, or ugly. Yeah. I'm all for shining the lights there, but there was a, a, a good feeling of like we can be off the record and go. I remember my dad went and saw George Carlin, and George Carlin opened with "fuck Oprah." fuck Lance Armstrong and fuck somebody else. And they were like the hot people at the time. And my dad laughed and then he went, that's not funny. Because then he was on the record because his son was watching him. Yeah. But like, we're, we're sort of losing. Does that make sense? We're, we've, we've lost. It does. That. You know, I'm going back to this example that you were saying about the, the Brie Larson interviews, right? Like there's also this built-in assumption that she or anyone else is supposed to know how to do any of this stuff. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like we're all learning. We're all learning moment to moment. And like, uh, oh, that's brilliant. I, I love that. That's wonderful compassion. And of course that's true. And when you take the, the vitriol that people have, especially for women, like we're going to like skewer, she got skewered. I barely follow that stuff and I'm aware that she got skewered. So yeah. where is the grace of going? She didn't know. She's not a comedian. There's a person learning how to do something that is totally not normal. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> like, <laughs> none of this stuff. I understand that at some point you need to accumulate the experience and get better and better and better. But it can't be that every time you are judged against some uh, standard of, of like that you should have known. This is, I've tried to make this bit work on stage so many times it never worked, but it was when I started stand up, I was very bad, but we weren't filming it. So you can't find, there's one video I posted it, but like, you can't really find the videos of us when we were starting. Cause they were all on like cams with tapes. Um, and then I was like, Eminem was bad when he started. We're just, he's just so lucky that we weren't filming it. Cause like, the uh, think about it really just as an artist think about the first time Eminem Lil Marshall tried a freestyle on the porch <laughs> he was just sitting yeah. on the porch and he tried and he rhymed zippity dippity with look at my nippities and everyone <laughs> laughed at him and and he was humiliated that's just gone this is like well, you can't have yeah. a Jesus now be, uh, because there's too much on the record. Would have him lighting his farts on fire in grade school, you know? Like it's hard. Well, I think that there is. We're stumbling into an interesting area, or maybe you've maybe you've led us there with great. Uh, <laughs> Let's go with that. But, yeah, but I, I do think that one of the things that uh, has been one of the most important. Uh, qualities or some some lack of pride or shame that I seem to have for whatever reason is being willing to move through the part where you are bad at something into being okay at it and then slowly good at it. Look, you don't make a Dracula puppet musical and from the beginning it is good or something you should show anybody or normal or any of the stuff. But eventually you like stick through this thing and you're like, you have some internal belief that, you know, maybe I think, I think that there's actually, there's something here and I'm going to stick with it and all this stuff. And um, you just can't 
people get to react however they want along the way. It's a different world now where everything is public. But I just think that I don't really want to participate in the part where you're judging someone each step of the way. You know what I mean? Like, it's like everyone is trying, you know, if you're something like you said, there are some things that cross a line into that they are wrong or that they are hateful or spiteful. And then I totally agree. Those are things that need to be called out. Um, but if something's just dumb, <laughs> like, come on, man. Like I've been dumb a lot mm-hmm. and some of it's ended up being awesome. Right. Right. That's interesting. I think I was just having a conversation with somebody about like, where are the young comedians? I'm not saying there aren't any, but it seems there's such a diversity in what you can go for now. And I think why there might be fewer people going into stand up, and maybe they're going into TikTok and YouTube or whatever, or, or they become writers or they become whatever they're doing is because there isn't that nineties ambiguity. There was, there was stuff that, Again, I was never – I said to somebody recently, I was like, comedians used to be pirates and now we're uh, waiters at Long John Silver's. I have the benefit of – I was always trying to be a waiter at Long John Silver's. That's just – all my heroes were waiters at Long John Silver's. They were Alan and and Ray Romano and Seinfeld and stuff. But like I think it's a self-preservation I can have more control of the way I edit a TikTok and edit a YouTube or tweet a tweet than just going out and figuring it out in a club where maybe I'll be bad or maybe I'll be ugly or whatever it might be, the fear. Yes. Well, I I am someone who believes that the avenue still exists. You just have to have the internal uh, mechanism not to be swayed by the other stuff. And for me, that is by not looking at it. Right. I hear that. I remember Bill Burr told me the story that he did the Providence Comedy Connection. It's one of the first clubs I performed at. He bombed. And then he went out into the parking lot to leave. And he heard someone say, man, that redheaded guy sucked. Oh. And that's what it used to be. I used to occasionally overhear somebody accidentally say something negative. And now if you perform, you can go on Twitter. You shouldn't be getting this Intel. It's my favorite story. I'll tell it so briefly. Gary Larson, the far side. I've told this story so many times on this podcast. He sent his cartoons to 15 newspapers in the Midwest. He didn't get any answer. So he drove to Chicago. He pitched it in person at a newspaper and they bought it. Then he drives back home and finds 15 rejection letters And he's like, if I had gotten these rejection letters, I never would have driven to Chicago. And I'm like, that is what's happening. People who might be great stand-ups, great writers, they have to deal with an open sewer of people being like, you suck. And like, you just shouldn't, you shouldn't have to hear that. Like on one hand, it's a gift that you can share it online. But on the other hand, it takes a lot of discipline to not look at that stuff still. Look, look, okay. Say 99% of people love what you did, right? That is that is an average that you could only dream of. Yeah. Oh, my God. 99% of people loved what I did. Well, 
if you are submitting these things on a platform where 10 million people look at it, that's a hundred thousand people who hate what you did. <laughs> Brilliant. Right. And that is just a lot of people telling you you're stupid or you're ugly or you have no business doing it. It's just a lot of voices. And also the other thing is when somebody likes what you did, they like what you did and then continue living their life. Right. If someone hates what you did. They say something. And so just the, the negativity bias is always going to be what comes at you. And so I just think, why submit yourself to that? You just make shit. I, just make shit and fucking like hope it reaches people. You know, one of the real talk about freedom. One of the one of the things that I think is very freeing about there being so much content, which at first I mourned because I thought, oh, it means everything has less impact. I actually feel differently now. I feel like it means that there is a little pocket for every niche of expression. I did a show last year called Dispatches from Elsewhere that I love very dearly. And I wrote a bunch of the episodes and I directed some of them. It's hugely meaningful to me. And I think a couple hundred thousand people watched each step, each episode, which is not a, not a giant hit by any stretch, but the 200,000 people who watched it, it meant something to. And you know what? Like, that's awesome. Yeah. That we have a world where you can make shit. If people like it, they watch it. If they don't like it, they watch something else. Yeah. That's, it's pretty great. I love that. I it made me think of remember in Calvin and Hobbes Calvin reads Chew magazine which is about bubblegum enthusiasts. Yeah, sure. I we're sort of living in the time of Chew magazine. I think Bill Watterson was making fun of hobby magazines. But you're absolutely right. I watch um speed running videos on YouTube. I love watching people beat uh Mario Brothers in 5 minutes. For some reason it just comforts me. Wow. And the amount of celebrity I bestow on these people. Like one of them I love is named Limcube. I think if I met Limcube at a party, I would be very nervous talking to him. And he that that's what we're saying. Like he's not huge. I mean, I think he's doing fine in on Twitch, but like <laughs> I really think you are a person who stars in movies. So I'll say you're a movie star and I am not nervous talking to you. If Limcube came in, I'd be like, how did you learn how to do a wind bomb so well? Like, I'd, I'd be so nervous. Um, yeah. And I love what you're saying. And I think that is the best message for people to, to get. I really think that was a gift you just gave them. I, I just think that we are in a moment where um, you really have an opportunity to make stuff. Yeah. You know, like you can do it cheaply. You can get it out cheaply. Um, you know, look, you, you might run into the reality of you also want to be rich from it. And that will always, I think that will always be a struggle. But in terms of being able to make something and get it seen, yeah. I think that is accomplishable. Yeah, I, I completely agree for what it, you've been doing this longer than me. But when people have an idea, I'm like, Look at Mad Men and AMC. You know what I'm saying? Like it became one of the biggest shows in the world and it went to AMC. I'm not putting down AMC, but you don't have to be on NBC anymore. You don't have to be on CBS anymore, whatever it is. And you can make what you wanted to make and the right people might find it. Dude, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not too familiar. I'm, I know I'm going to say this wrong, but there's people like 
doing 10 second dances yeah. for their job. <laughs> you know, like yeah. it's like they, it's their career and they like go do a whole thing. They live in a house together and they do dances. <laughs> <laughs> it's basically the sixties. It's the dream of the sixties. <laughs> yeah. Well, that I, one of the things I got interested in on uh, the speed runners is I was like, is this what they do? And I looked into it. It is what they do. Yeah. They play video games. And I was like, the world's not the world's not all bad. <laughs> Can you imagine if our group that I came up in, like it wasn't movies, it was just me and Seth Rogen doing synchronized 10 second dances? <laughs> That's maybe what it would be. <laughs> I'm really just all of us in the worst smelling house in the world. <laughs> <laughs> Red makes a cameo. We got to get yeah. Red in there. That's really funny. But what's good about what you guys did, starting in Freaky Geeky, yes, you had <laughs> you had a show that was. It sort of reminds me of Wonder Years in that, like, it could go emotional. What I'm saying is your lane ages well. So you and I, are, we're both 41. As I get older, I keep, I, I've said this before, but I'm like, oh, the next thing I do, I'll just have it be like 30 rock funny. I'll have it be as funny as it can be. Every third line, a big laugh. And then I write it and I'm like, interior dark room, Steve is crying. Like, I just, I just want to do it. I want to tell more dramatic stories because I'm 41 and that's what's interesting to me. But I don't know what the 10 second dance guys are going to do when they're 41 and they're like, how do I convey the weight of middle age through dance? Yeah. No, it feels like there's probably a, a shelf life to the 10 second dances, but who knows? Maybe it evolves to something else. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I think it is interesting though. Like what you said, you know, as I aged, I became more interested in telling, well, look, I think if you're, if you're trying to make art as pretentious as that sounds, you, uh, you should be exploring what you're thinking about you should be performing some sort of self-exploration through the art that you're doing with the hope that that will be meaningful to anyone who might watch, yeah. you know, sort of act as a surrogate. Um, yeah, that's right. And so, you know, I think hopefully as you get older, you want to explore more things. I have a movie out, not to plug anything, but I have a movie out right now called um, Our Friend that is about, uh, you know, uh, someone whose wife is passing away from cancer and all of that. And it is meaningful, while doing those things, I also find I, an instinct in me is kicking back in of like, you know what? It can also, you should also just do stuff that's fun. Yeah. Balance it. Like also do, there's nothing wrong with doing just something that makes you feel good. Yeah. So I think both can exist side by side. I just think, you know, at some point as, as someone making stuff, you might get bored not uh, I don't know. Maybe some people are fine with it, but I, I know I got bored not kind of trying to go through the stuff I was actually going through on screen. I hear that very, very much. I, I like, you know, I looked at like Steve Carell. I think when I was young, although Jim Carrey ended up doing this too, but I'm like, do uh Burt Wonderstone, but also do Foxcatcher. I'm like, and you're doing that. I mean, we're back to, can I ask you one end of the tour question? Yeah. As a, as a actor, what is your interpretation? I wonder if you've ever gotten this. How were you interpreting 
David Foster Wallace drinking diet RC Cola and eating candy. Was it an intellectual trying to be an everyman or did he just love candy? Like what, what do you think was, was it as complicated as I'm making it? <laughs> no, I think that it's very simple. Actually. I think that it is, uh, um, uh, somebody struggled with addiction who didn't, wasn't, wasn't drinking their feel good juice. And so you have, you know, the best, best friend of an addict is diet soda and candy. That's so interesting. I, I, I have had people in my, family even get sober and then they start drinking 12 Pepsi maxes at yeah. Thanksgiving. Um, I, that's interesting. I guess as I got more and more, I'm putting this word in uh, quotes special. Yeah. There is that thing where you don't want to, you, you start drinking like fancy water or you start eating organic or all these things mm-hmm. and him being a teacher and him living where he lived and resisting all the fame, I thought maybe his love of pop culture and his love of candy was similar, that he was like, but I'm not some elitist. I'm, I'm a regular guy. I'm a regular guy. And then I forget who, I think it's in the movie, they go, nobody cracks a thousand page book because he's a regular guy. They crack it because they think he's a genius. They think he might have something to say. Well, I think that what you run into is the uh, distinction between how you want to be perceived and how you want to feel. And I think that David Foster Wallace was at a moment. This is my, I, I am only speculating based on my own feelings yeah. of how, uh, how I feel in my life, um, which is that uh, I think one of the things that he struggled with, one of the things that I struggle with is feeling uh, like an outsider, as we discussed earlier, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, separate from fame, something that I felt very young, you know, like, oh, I don't fit in. And uh, in a weird way, it's like you, you have all these successes. And while it is the positive version, it only affirms the feeling of separateness. And I think David Foster Wallace was like, I'm, or at least look, I moved, I moved to where you live. We live in a small farm town. I moved to a place where I felt like would eliminate as much feeling of me being unique as possible. Mm. I just wanted to feel like part of a town, part of a community. Um, and my hunch through empathy is that David Foster Wallace was after the same feeling. Like where, where can I go? Where can I go where they uh, are less likely to be reading infinite jest and more likely to care if I'm a nice dude. That's really interesting. I was thinking about that. We're, we're renting. We haven't found a place, but we are interested in permanently being where you are. Um, there's, I forget who said, I think it might be Richard Rohr, but he said, nature asks nothing of you. Yeah. And I'm an Enneagram three. I'm not going to bore you with what the Enneagram is, but that's the achiever. It's often... Uh, I'm only worth what I create and what you think of it is sort of my flaw. Yeah. So I get my identity and my value. So when I'm saying I I leave a club and I killed and I feel fantastic, I'm telling you that like an addict who says when I'm drunk, I feel fantastic. And I I stopped drinking. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm aware that it's not the healthiest thing 
that I feel like a good golden boy who did a special job and he's so special and everybody loves me and everything's okay. Like that's just me saying when I eat Skittles, I feel good. It's not, it's not nutrition. It's just a temporary high. And guess what? It's gone by the time I get home. It's, it's faded. Um, But a a sunset or trees are beautiful no matter what you've done recently. And there's something about that. So they say for an Enneagram three, it's very important to be in nature because they don't, a tree doesn't give a fuck how many seasons of how I met your mother you did. Yeah, but they fucking should. (laughs) It was nine. nine. I Uh, knew it was nine. Yeah. Uh, When I, uh, when I moved to town, the man at the grocery store said, uh, welcome to town. Don't be an asshole. That makes you the town asshole. That's and I thought, so funny. It's perfect. Like it couldn't be phrased any better, right? Yes. I like the accountability of a small town, you know? Yeah, that's really, really, really cool. Let's, um, let's circle back to the ghost thing because at that point we weren't on the same podcast because you thought – you can say that you've had ghostly experiences and not tell me every detail. I don't know what that was. We have to talk about this. Oh, well, I, I didn't particularly have ghostly experiences, but to, to to share with what you were saying, I did have tour guides who I'm always interested in these people who do the ghost tours. Yes. I'll tell you two stories. One will affirm what I assume you are into ghosts and the other will break your heart. Um, so in Charleston, uh, there was a ghost tour that I went on through the cemeteries and this and that. And the lady was like very openly, you don't want to get the, um, you don't want to get the last shift because you have to lock up all of these buildings that we get to take you through. And it's scary. You're alone and you hear all sorts of stuff and she allowed on that yeah gates gates um clanging and all this all this however that said i once shot a movie in new orleans which to me is like a sister city of charleston new orleans um charleston and savannah georgia always feel like three sisters who grew up in the same household yeah the trees Uh, there look like they've seen ghosts you know what i mean (laughs) yeah well i was in the i was living in the french quarter in in new orleans uh doing a movie and uh my apartment was on the ghost tour. So every night you would hear like click, clock, click, clock, click, clock, click, clock. And the, the carriage would pull up and people would be walking behind it. And then the, the person would, would give these like pretty grisly accounts of <laughs> what happened in the, in the apartment I was living in. Oh, my God. Yeah, but it was different every night. Oh my god! So the that- story, the story was different every night. <laughs> Just trying to pass the time as a ghost teller. Yeah, yeah, and it, it, it was. I mean, the first night I was like, "What? She was murdered by her lover?" And then, uh, and then after that, I was like, "Oh, this is all bullshit." Um, but I believe in it all. Whoa. I think it's our brains. I think it's our brains doing their very best job to try to figure out some energy that they're encountering. Right? Sure. I'm. I. I'm not a huge ghost guy. I am a huge like. I'm into spirituality and all that. Clearly, but like, I am completely open to the idea that everything's happening at once. 
Yeah. And that the way that we perceive time is as a, it's almost like a finger pushing through jello, but uh, that's just so our brain, our brain can experience it. It's like the gift of existence is being slowed down and becoming linear, but really it's all happening. So you're into the nonlinear time kind of idea. I sure couldn't explain it to you, but I get, I get it. Yes. That it's all happening at once because everything has to happen in the moment. And that's mm-hmm. the only place it could be happening. And the past and the future are stories we tell ourselves. So there's a real comfort in saying you're already dead, but you're also being born, you know, like it's, but it's all. Yeah. And I've known people that have had um, DMT trips where my friend, I won't say his name just in case, I don't know. He, he told me he went to a, a dimension. DMT is obviously the strongest psychedelic you can take. He went to a dimension where you you moved around time. Everything had happened, but the way that you moved was through events. And he said the what was weird about it, so you and I could go like, let's go back to that coffee that we had and yeah. we'd just go there. And it would happen the same exact way, but that's what we would do. That's how we would spend our existence. And what was interesting was that beings there would often go back to traumatic things. They would go back to bad moments. And I was like, that's just like how you and I, I just watched the Heaven's Gate thing. I watched the thing about um, Nexium. Like we're interested in ghostly things and, and breakups. Your movie was about a breakup. You You made art about a real breakup. So like in this world where you can relive things, they wanted both the salty and the sweet. They might hang out in a pleasant moment, looping it for what a hundred years. But after a hundred years, you're going to want to go back to that breakup and remember what it feels like to be like sledgehammered emotionally. Because what else are you going to do? Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess those are the those are the areas where we feel like maybe we can make peace with them, right? Like the other stuff is already kind of settled. Like that level's completed. You know. At, well, what is what is there to learn? Except through, we're sort of back to what you were saying, doing it wrong. Uh, I'm quoting Richard Rohr a lot, but he's my homeboy. He says, we don't come to the truth by doing it right. He says, God, I'm saying truth. We we come to the truth by doing it wrong. And that, and we're back to the weeds and the wheat. So like those moments, that's what, so my show is about a breakup. You're, you're, uh, the, the movie that comes up first on IMDb is still forgetting Sarah Marshall. That was you alchemizing a real breakup uh, and turning it into art. What does that say about the human condition? If, if we're not here to like redeem the painful moments, nobody wants to, I was actually worried about forgetting Sarah Marshall when I saw it, because Seinfeld has a great line where he says, nothing funny was ever written on the beach. So as soon as you got to Hawaii as a young man, seeing it in the theaters, I was like, uh Oh, like this is going to stop being funny, and it's really a marvel that it's so funny in Hawaii. Because, yeah, because yeah, it, it's. I think that's a a very hard thing to pull off, and a, and a true compliment. But I mean, the the heartbreak. Somebody sad in Hawaii is a great thing to do. That's what I was going to say. It's the juxtaposition, right? It's the misery in Hawaii. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, absolutely. I mean, like I said, I don't know what would be entertaining about something like that was about, uh, Hey, look, I, I haven't figured out. No one's interested in that. Um, 
I think the reason yeah. that you want to, I think the reason you want to engage in a piece of art is because you are watching somebody go through something that you think it's valuable for you to experience with them, whether it's through humor or a drama or whatever, but like, Oh, let's, let's all work through something together. I'm, I'm being very Jesus-y today and I, I I apologize for that, but you can't, again, it's Richard Gore, but you can't be in love with an energy. So a story of a God, you could take Buddha too, that is just sitting on a golden throne and he's awesome and perfect human beings have a really hard time connecting with that. But I'll take Buddha. If you're a king who gets tired of his riches and then realizes he's going to die and that everything fades and nothing is permanent, we can relate to that. And now we're engaged. Same thing with Jesus. He's not, I mean, we've sort of whitewashed him and turned him into just like a perfect walking Zeus, but he was crucified. That's not perfect. That's like a, that's a guy that was murdered. And now we're like, oh, his friends sold him out. He suffered. He lost all of his fame. He lost all of his good name and he was murdered. Um, now we're like, okay, I'm listening. <laughs> yeah. Well, to continue this, the, you know, I don't mean to be too highbrow, but also the Muppets have to be underdogs. Yes. <laughs> you know, just like the Buddha. Um, <laughs> I didn't even get it. I was, I yeah. thought you were going to say something highbrow now. Of no. course. You know, you know, it's like you don't want to see a movie about the Muppets already being famous and putting on a show. You want it like they're they have to be in danger of losing the theater. You know, like everyone has to think they're dumb, and then yeah. and then by the end, like they have to have found their little little niche legion of fans. Um, That's what that, I, you know, oh, underdog stories. Underdog stories are the ones that we care about. I think because, and I'm not just saying this to minister to your heart, but I'm telling you from what I've gathered. And what I've experienced, a lot of people go, nobody wants me at this party. The bad thing has already happened. Like it, that is, if we can stop resisting it and just go, man, that's just what it is. <laughs> that's just what's yeah. happening. We're the Muppets yeah. getting kicked out of the agent's office. That's just what we I feel. Mean, that's who I would rather be. I feel like the other dudes are the ones who are like, I should be president. Yeah. <laughs> I've never liked uh, any of that. It's party down. You want to be Adam Scott on party down. You don't want to be the blonde guy, even though he's so funny. That's like, dude, I rocked that audition. Like, you know, know when you're at an audition and someone walks out and goes, they booked it. They said, you can all go home. You don't want to be that guy. You don't want to be that guy. No, it does crack me up when I watch, uh, I, I love your Muppets movie and it happens in Muppets take Manhattan where Kermit, is going into offices and getting rejected. It just is funny. It's like a sad guy in Hawaii. Yes. A talking frog is being told that he doesn't have it. He is comedy. And often with no pants on. <laughs> <laughs> Zero pants. Yeah. We talk this this seems like I'm baiting you for clickbait, but I do like talking about psychedelics. Have you ever it, with psychedelics or other things, have you ever gotten to that place where you just go like, I'm home? Have you ever escaped your mind enough to sort of feel? Yeah, I have. Not with psychedelics, but I've done it with nature. I've done it with long walks, um, I, as silly as that sounds. But, you know, this year I've been uh, in quarantine. I decided I wanted to feel 
uh, in better shape and just feel happier. So I was talking to this guy who was like, get, get 12,000 steps a day outside. And um, I also went and shot a movie up in Humboldt County, which is the old growth Redwoods. So I would get these two hour walks up there in the trees. And it was um, wow. between the walks being outside and also I actually feel very, very comfortable when I'm making a movie. It's one of the only times in my life when I feel like I'm not supposed to be doing something else. Yeah. I'm like, I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. I have an excuse to say like, Hey, not now. I can't write now. I'm not supposed to be coming up with a movie idea. I'm just here. Uh, I found I had a very peaceful time during that experience. And I've had that a few times making movies and, uh, where I just feel like I'm in, like you said, in the pocket. Is this, because even when I saw you in person, uh, you've lost even more weight. Is this just the 12,000? Not just, that's a lot. That's like five or six miles, I think. I do somewhere between six and 10 miles a day walking. And uh, yeah, I'm eating healthy. I'm just doing all the things that, you know, you, you sort of take for granted until you start to get older. And I, I started to realize like, Oh, this is going to get away from me. And next thing you know, I'm just going to be a fat dude. <laughs> and like broken. I have that yeah. too. I'm like, I don't use these muscles. I think they just break. <laughs> yeah. Like they, they and won't so, be there. You know, I actually feel good. I feel younger than I felt in a really long time and, and happier than I felt in a very long time. When do you do it? Now this is just self-serving. Cause I'm like, I should do this. Are you walking in the morning first thing and then again at night? With or without fail, any time that I can. Wow. So I have, uh, you know, I have a tracker on and I just make sure that I can, uh, I get the, a fitness tracker, not like a police. <laughs> I'm, I'm free. I'm free. <laughs> um, but anyway, I, uh, yeah, I just make sure that I get them. That would be a nice perk is if you are in house arrest, if the police also told you you're not getting enough steps, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they just wanted to be happy. <laughs> I did. You didn't tell me that last time outside is a nice touch. Val and I are always like, we should, I'm, I'm next to an elliptical I never use. And I was like, let's just get a treadmill. And she was like, I really feel like people that exercise outside are happier people and like live longer. We moved to one of the most beautiful places in the world. If you use that elliptical or a treadmill, I will come to your house and take it away from you. <laughs> That's hilarious. Okay, let's get you out of here because I, I always feel bad when people do this long this long haul podcast while they're doing other press. So uh, this was the best. Do, do you edit this down to just the interesting stuff or what happens? No, because who are we to say? Who are we to say? You just do the whole thing. The you whole just plop it. I think it's like me watching speed running videos, the mistakes or the weird part where they go to the bathroom. I'm I'm on the edge of my seat. I'm like, this is so funny that Wait, he, you want to leave the part where I went to the bathroom? We'll cut out the time, yeah. We'll cut out <laughs> you being gone. But remember I said that good Anne Lamont quote and you come back and then there's, I didn't know we were podcasting. <laughs> and then you not knowing we were podcasting, which led us into the conversation about home, which led Are we still podcasting? This is still happening. Huh. It's like space balls. This is the movie yeah. now. Well, will you Let's just, just listen do, to I'm it still- once? Will you listen to it once? All I ask is that you listen to this once. And then if there's anything where you're like, oh, 
He'll hate that. Just cut it out. Uh, I will not do that. <laughs> I uh, Here's what I'll do. Yeah, It's what I always do. One of the burdens, it's not really a heavy burden of doing a podcast, is for weeks I'll just get messages from my subconscious that go like, was that okay? And then I'll yeah. say, Katie, can I hear that part again? And then sometimes we trim it out. But 99.9% everything just stays. Wow. Okay. And you know what, man? That's a good lesson for our hearts. It's like it doesn't have to be polished. It was such a it, it was such a healthy thing for me to put out. It's not an NPR. We don't put in the drums and the bass. And I don't go sitting down with Jason Siegel was just as fun as I imagined. But his childhood was a. They called him Mister Dunk. And then we, you tell that story, and then we fade it. Any of that? Nope. Oh, she. This is bullshit. There's no. no there's no drums or bass. You're saying. <laughs> Do you have a is there a, is there a like entry song at all? There's an entry song, yeah. We have a theme song, and there's a, a, a song we use under the the ads, and then we're off. And then when the episode's over, uh, the song fades back in. Okay. So yeah, there's a little production. Okay. I like the low finest man. We're basically on ham radios right now. Okay. okay. <laughs> Good. Let's do a speed round and then we'll get you out of here. I'm really, I, when I was watching Sarah Marshall and she goes, what are you doing here? Um, Sarah Marshall sees you in Hawaii, says, what are you doing here? I never say I came here to murder you. I'm just, that's when I went, forgive me, not, not your incredible performance. And I do mean that in end of the tour. It was that moment when you go, I came here to murder you and you sort of laugh and you sort of look away. And it's such a, it's just scores so big. I was like, I have to ask you a great lesson you've learned about acting or performing yeah. something that you hold in your mind when you're doing it. Um, did I tell you this story? Hit it. Uh, wait, did I tell you the story about I came here to murder you? When no. You hung out? No. This is so funny that you're asking this question because this actually is, that line is one of the big lessons of my comedy life. Tell me everything. So in my mind, I wrote Forgetting Sarah Marshall. In my mind, that scene uh, was meant to be a guy doing his very best to be dignified. Because he is meeting, he's meeting her new boyfriend for the first time, and we did the scene a bunch with me doing that energy. And Rodney Rothman, one of the producers who was behind the camera, Video Village, uh, came over, and and one of Rodney's jobs, which he's excellent at, was basically he was like pitching jokes on set live for scenes as he would think of them. And he came over and was like, when she says, what are you doing here? Say, I came here to murder you. <laughs> and I said, no. I said that that is exactly the wrong energy. It is 100% wrong. Like, that is not how he would be right now. And we had, like, a debate over it. And then I was like, look, I'll do it once. But this is not right. And then I did the take. And it's one of the biggest laughs in the movie. And so I learned then, <laughs> like you said, one, sometimes you just don't fucking know. But then second, also, like, and this goes back to our other conversation about being wrong. Like, be wrong. 
it, it, take the shot at being wrong because every once in a while you're right. It turns out that it's really right. Um, someone else just gave me that advice uh, about a movie I was doing where I didn't know how to do the character, the one I did in Humboldt. And he said, try a bunch of stuff and be make bold choices where you are willing to be wrong. Yeah. Because you'll find something interesting and you'll end up using the stuff that's right. I love that. Um, Paul Bettany just did the podcast. He told me a story that um, Stellan Starsgard told him, which is like in theater, you rehearse to prepare a performance. In film, every take is a rehearsal. And he mm. was like, so just fuck around and try different stuff. And something I learned from a video game tutorial, it's called Game Maker's Toolkit. I love it. He says, fail faster, find the fun. Meaning, lose the time where you debate whether or not you should say it. Do it. Know that you'll be in the edit and you can take it out. But there, I mean, to have the humility, I'm so glad because it's such a funny moment. And I yeah. can't believe that's the only time you did it. Because it's, yeah, it's perfect. And you know what? I actually think your reluctance is probably what made it work because that's the yeah. attitude of the character is I shouldn't be saying this. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I found, I found a way, all modesty aside, I found a way to, to make it something that it felt right to me. But it was, uh, at the time, like Rodney was 100% right. And, well, I'm not going to say I was 100% wrong. I had someone else say a little nugget to me once. Um, <laughs> all right. I'm going to tell a story I've never told before. <laughs> I love it. When we did How I Met Your Mother, Lin-Manuel Miranda, prior to Hamilton, was a guest star on the show. And I, I was like just having a conversation. I'm like, so what are you up to these days? He's like, well, actually, I'm writing a musical. Um, it's going to be about Alexander Hamilton, but they're going to rap in it. And, and he went on and on, and I thought – Okay, man. <laughs> All right. Good luck, bro. And I uh, walked away, you know, to go get a snack. And um, at, as one of my friends said when I tell that story, uh, if, you, if you're not aware, Hamilton became a successful musical. Um, uh, as one of my friends said to me, it's not that I was wrong in that moment. It's just that he was more right. <laughs> and I think that that is true of uh, of that line that Rodney Rothman said. I may have been right, but Rodney was more right. That yes, moment. that is so funny. I remember this is going to pale in comparison, but I was with my friend Tom, Tommy C, in Burlington, Massachusetts. We're going to the movies, and I saw a billboard for Gladiator. And we're, we're like 15, 16. And I was like, I'm just thinking Ben-Hur. And I thought Ben-Hur was stupid. So yeah. I go like, Ugh, who wants to see a movie about a gladiator? <laughs> and we're in line. And Tommy C., Tom Kalatosti goes, who wants to see a movie about a mentally challenged guy who plays ping pong and, and runs really fast? Because Forrest Gump had just won all the Oscars. Yes. And he got a line laugh, meaning we were in line and the people that heard him all laughed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in that moment, I wasn't wrong. Like, <laughs> he was just more right. He was more right. Like if somebody said, I want to do a story of Hamilton and we rap, it's sort of one of the problems with this town 
And I, I don't even say that bitterly. I'm just saying any system where there's gatekeepers, this is why we're going to see a remake of the speak and spell the movie because we'll go, well, there's nostalgia. I know how to sell that. It's proven they sold 20 million speak and spells. Uh, and yeah. somebody goes like, I want to go, you know, the, I want to rhyme the Declaration of Independence with mending a fence. And people are like, that sounds stupid. Yeah. But you need, oh, I love that so much. What a great story. Um, what about show business? What's a great lesson you've learned about show business? You strike me as a guy who's striving for balance. It could be as simple as don't take it so seriously. But I mean, you've you've navigated a lot as a producer, as a creator, as an actor. You've been on like a very big sitcom. You've done yeah. indie movies. You've done big movies. What's What would you tell me if I was that dreaded coffee with a cousin that your aunt made you go to about show business? Uh, well, it would, it, would, it would honestly depend who I was talking to, but I, if it was somebody like you, who I know you've already learned this lesson, but it was the it was what Judd told me when I was very young, which is um, learn to write your own material. It is the one thing over this long career that is the reason I'm still around. In the back of my mind, I've always thought, look, there have been a few off ramps in my career where it could have been done. And... Uh, knowing in the back of my mind, if I can just write something good enough, I get to keep, I get another ride on the merry-go-round. Yeah. Uh, that has, that has kept me hopeful and kept me afloat and also um, alleviated the total powerlessness of waiting for permission. Totally. I've, I've been doing, it's a good sign that I guess productions are picking back up every once in a while. I'll get an audition, like a self tape. And the way that I see those is like buying a scratch off. I'm literally like, but if I was just like living to get that third bundle of red cherries on the scratch off, I don't know what I would do with myself. Whereas the good feeling of like that movie idea, I could write that or write this show and pitch this. I, no one in no one in their right mind would have written crashing and then just cast me like that would have been one in a million. But if you write it and you pitch it and you, and you're the guy, then you get to be the lead. I really tried to embody that. I, I don't know if you did that with forgetting Sarah Marshall, you wrote it, you pitched it, then you get to be Peter. Um, but if it was a movie that Judd was producing and, and uh, Kristen and Russell Brand are in it, and you were auditioning for the lead, how excited you would have been to get the part. Yeah. But it was just like a foregone conclusion because it was yours. Like sometimes it's, it's helpful as a gratitude exercise to go, let's pretend you auditioned for that movie. <laughs> you know what? It's so funny you say that. Like I'm, I'm talking about the next TV show that I might do. Yeah. Right now. And, um, uh, I hadn't, I haven't considered even doing a, a TV show except the one I wrote, you know, but like just being an actor for hire, I hadn't really thought about. And, uh, cause I really enjoy doing these movies. But so I was talking about it, uh, with Alexis in very, um, strategic terms. And she was like, can you just talk about this for a minute? Like it was the first time you were doing it. Wow. Like, remember, think about how excited you would be to be talking about the stuff that you are talking about right now. 
And it was such an important reminder of like, man, this is, this is your, every time you're doing it, you are achieving the impossible and you should treat it with that kind of reverence and joy and excitement. It's really easy to lose it and become jaded or, or whatever, but to try to hold on to that stuff is really important. I love that. And I don't want to pigeonhole your partner, but I do feel like that's one of the great benefits of somebody who's not also trying to be an actor. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Because Val can rein me in and be like, she, one time she was like, so let me get this straight. Your problem is you're worried both of these things will go and you'll have to choose. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I'm like, oh, fuck. It's, it's so nice as often as I can to sit down and have a Mountain Dew with 16-year-old me and and, yeah. and just be like, what a, what a scam. I told her how much I admired people that played video games for a living and not putting them down. And she went, yeah, but look at what you do. That's even more insane. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. like, be grateful. Be grateful. Yes, for sure. Um, two last questions. One is the meaning of life and one is the hardest you've laughed in your life. Um, I also just, I just saw, I love you, man. I wrote down, I love you, man. And this is so silly. I took it as a reminder to just be like, I really love you. I think you're fantastic. Oh, thanks. You too. I took it as a, I was supposed to ask you about the movie because I love that movie. But like, I, I just, I'm just filled with a feeling of be like, just today, floating in space, just this moment. I really think you're fantastic. And I hope yeah, that carries you through too. the rest of the day. We are podcasting right now. Just <laughs> We'll edit that part out. <laughs> that'll, that'll be the one trim. Um, uh, meaning of life, I'm gonna, I am going to very confidently say I have no fucking idea. All I know is that what has felt right uh, as through trial and error is that being good to people around me um, seems to be high up there in the list of things that are important. Yeah. Um, I am – slowly learning that adding myself to that list is a very important uh, thing as well. But um, the only thing I have noticed is that being, being good to the people around you, acknowledging their love is, is really up there. Second question was what? The hardest I've laughed in my whole life. Well, that's too much pressure, but if you can think of a time that you were laughing and you thought you were going to puke, I, there is one time that jumps to mind. Uh, we were doing a movie called The Five-Year Engagement. And there was a, as you know from doing improv in movies, sometimes things happen that are very funny that, you know, like it just happens in a take and it, it was, didn't happen in the previous take and a riff will start. Yeah. Well, there was a sound man. <laughs> there was a sound man who was holding a boom. And, you know, you can see him, you can see the camera, you can see the sound man when you're acting. Your job is not to look or look at them or acknowledge them. <laughs> and, uh, you know what I mean? Like yeah. you have to yeah. Yeah, blow up the illusion of making something. And um, he was laughing so hard. Now, his job in a comedy, everyone behind the camera is not to laugh or at the very least not to make a sound because it'll mess up the take, especially if something funny is happening. So he was holding the boom up above his head, you know, 
and and it's getting funnier and funnier. And he is laughing, but silently and trying not to laugh. So it's becoming like kind of a spasmodic gesture in his body. And then I swear to God, I'm not making this up. With every spasm, he would fart. <laughs> full, full sound farting with every spasm. <laughs> we are laughing so fucking hard. Everyone, he's laughing. Like, everyone is laughing as this guy is just like... God, it was, that was a great memory. The one department you don't want to be farting. He's he's as close to the mic as you can be. <laughs> they are on the record. Every beef is on the record. That is absolutely right. Did you, was a great memory. Did you abandon the scene? Like, was it over? Well, we were all having so much fun. Like, we, we tried to keep that going as long as we could. I, I think it probably kind of trailed off. It was like a... A fart uh, that died a sad, a sad death. By the <laughs> we, we milked it. Did any of that take make the movie? I have no idea. I have no idea. Both of those posters, Five Year Engagement and Sarah Marshall, were in the second floor of Judd's office. Yeah. So I would walk by both of those every day. Very surreal. Uh, we should just end there. A better interviewer would go, and that's all the time we have. But for some reason, like your face being there was like this fun part of my life. And having seen those movies, I don't know. I like knocked up and 40 year old virgin. They were all happening to me at a time when I really needed comedy. And that includes Sarah Marshall. And then to be editing on a floor that maybe you edited it there. I don't know. But it was really fun to be part of that lineage, even if it was just for that. Oh, I'm so glad. Well, I, you know, I, I, I like to think that maybe, I mean, again, we're the same age, but maybe seeing stuff like that did for you at the time a lot like what Swingers did. That's it. For me, where I remember seeing like, oh, John Favreau wrote that, starred in it, directed yep. it. This can be done. That's it. Right? Just knowing it can be done is a really big deal. Well, I'm from Boston. So yeah. I am graduated high school in 97, which is when Goodwill Hunting came out. So exactly. two guys that went to the high school, not my high school, but the, you know, they might have played them in sports if I followed sports. That yeah. made it, made me believe it. And not only, so we're ending on a nice compliment too, I hope. It was my swingers. I'm going, this guy... I grew up so waspy and repressed in certain ways that if you got divorced, uh, when I told my father that I, my wife was leaving me when I was 28, he said, and he had really good intentions. I'm not teasing him, but he was like, well, she, she left you. So you're clean. You look okay. Oh, wow. Like, wow, wow. Cause he was doing what we do, which is like, what's the embarrassment factor? Yeah. What's the morality? Am I tarnished in some way? And that's what I was like, don't talk about it. I never talked about it. So seeing a movie like that, and I know it was based on, it has to be based on real experiences, mm -hmm. made me go, oh, fuck. Again, to use the verb alchemize, you can alchemize this stuff. Yeah. And I know people talk about your nudity. It's such a funny scene. And believe it or not, it was when like comedy penis was sort of new. Yes. Um, 
that level of emotional and physical nudity was a real lesson for me. I also want to tell you one more thing. I remember the radio ad for Sarah Marshall. Oh, in, wow. Yeah, radio. Included lines that weren't in the movie because I remember laughing at the radio ad. And in the radio ad, you say, do you want me to, do you want to help me choose the outfit that you break up with me in? Yeah. And I laughed so hard. It's probably why I went to see it. And then it wasn't in there. And I was like, oh my God, these guys are riffing. Like it's, they're playing and he's showing what it's like to be sad. And he's not ashamed. He's not going, don't worry, I come off okay. He's saying, I was broken. I was broken and sad. And when you reclaim it and put it on the screen, it's such, it's, it's, I think it's one of the things we're on this earth to do is to yeah. transform pain, to redeem it. Well, this will be the last thing I'll say and then we'll get off. But uh, that actually wasn't a riff. It was because in the real life naked breakup, which happened, <laughs> I halfway through in real life, stopped the breakup and said, I have to go get dressed now. And I went into my room and all I can tell you is that picking out an outfit for the second half of a breakup that is waiting outside the door is the hardest outfit you'll ever pick out. And I emerged <laughs> in khaki pants and a blue button up shirt. Like I was going to grade school oh. and I said, I'm wearing your favorite outfit. And then the second half of the breakup happened. Dude. Oh my God. I don't think I've ever shared this. You saying I've made my wearing your favorite outfit is so lovingly kind of pathetic, right? It's yes. like pathetic. I remember when my wife told me she was having an affair and she was leaving a couple of days later, I was like, Oh God, this is so embarrassing. <laughs> I said, if you get a dog, will you name him after me? Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no is the only response to that. We should end there. We're going to end there. Jason, We thank you for doing this. You actually got me to share something I haven't shared. We yeah. always have the guests say the catchphrase at the end. It's just how we sign off to give it some structure. Would you say keep it crispy for us? That's just – I can explain it, but that's it. Do I say for us or just keep it crispy? Just keep it crispy. Keep it crispy. Beautiful. I'm so crispy. My ice game make you want to